Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happened in history. I am your host Barnaby King and joining me as ever is my co-host Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. So sometimes, I don't know if you find this, but when I'm researching an episode, I sort of, I'll go onto Google and I start looking up like weird historical events and things like that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, usually on things like BuzzFeed, you get lists and it's like, some of these are good, but they're not, they're not episodes. They're not like full length things. They're just little, little snippets. Yeah. I've got a few of those on the back burner. Yeah. Largely to do with rabbits. Oh, yes. There are some good rabbit stories. I think I know the ones you're talking about. You know the ones I'm talking about, but neither of them are an episode. No. And there are only two of them. No. So I thought that for this week and maybe for future episodes, I introduce a new feature of that time when. Called That Time When Episode Okay. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. So basically, just a little bit of a little bit of extra stuff, just so that we can talk about some of those shorter things that are fun or interesting or important, but don't really make up an episode. Are episode ets like Smurfettes? Yes. Where, no. Well, no. They're, where they're... the whole distinction is that they're female. <laughs> no, it's it's like they're smaller, <laughs> like a baguette. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> As opposed to what a bag yes okay or a cigarette then all right fine <laughs> a little cigar bon bon anyway so this episode at i am going to talk about the painter hieronymus bosch oh my god you can't <laughs> talk about the painter hieronymus bosch yes i can for an episode at oh i can hieronymus bosch is mad he is mad but there's a very specific thing in his most famous triptych that i want to talk about Okay. So just briefly, for those who don't know, Hieronymus Bosch was a Dutch painter from the 15th and early 16th centuries. And his work is distinctive. I feel like it's that thing. Everyone's seen this triptych. Yeah. But they might have just seen bits of it. Well, I think not. it might not even have been uh, the triptych I'm going to talk about. But I think people will recognize a Bosch. Yeah even if you don't know where it's from. Because it's freaking weird, man. Yeah, he kind of does these hellish scenes. Yeah. Um, and it's usually like, I don't know, people leaning over with their bums out and then they'll be farting out a cow or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yes, well, speaking of bums, bums is exactly what I'm going to talk about. How did I know? <laughs> well, it's Hieronymus Bosch. So the triptych that I've mentioned a couple of times is the Garden of Earthly Delights. Yeah, I think that's the one everyone's seen. It is probably the one that everyone has seen. And it's really, it's less horrifying than most of his stuff. Sure. I mean, it is. It's just weird. It is weird. It is weird. There's a lot of monstrosities in it. Yeah. And there is a particular element of it that has been found to be, well... I found quite interesting. Go on. And that is that there is a section of it with someone's ass. Yeah. And someone next to them is writing out musical notation on their ass. I think I've heard about this. Yeah. I think I might know what you're going to say. Well, uh, what I'm going to say is that someone has painstakingly converted that musical notation into modern musical notation. Okay. And I have here a recording of the Hieronymus Bosch butt music. Amazing. So I'm just going to play a little bit of that. 
Oh, I'm I'm terribly sorry. I I don't know how that <laughs> happened. That that wasn't the right music at all. That's definitely not the right music. We've heard that before. <laughs> Here's the actual butt music. soulful butt music it really is isn't it it's quite nice also it belongs in the witcher in (laughs) one of those kind of soulful Uh, bits where it's like they like each other but they're not gonna say that's (laughs) gonna play in the background it absolutely does you're (laughs) right yeah well i found that just kind of funny that is hilarious and i wanted to include it here and importantly it seems to have passed the lombardi test for music um, because Lombardi, our rabbit, is currently at my feet and he was washing himself during that performance. Very good. So it's still not on the level of the Toreador song, though. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, so <laughs> people might think it's weird that we're referring to our rabbit here, but... Um, he is a music aficionado. He, he is, and it turns out most rabbits are, because of their very sensitive hearing, they have an ear for music. And... It's the hearing is so good that if you have the same piece sung by two different singers, to them it will sound like two completely different songs Mm -hmm. because of all the like subtle differences between them. But yeah, he has songs that he likes, or he has performers of doing songs that he likes, Mm -hmm. and he has ones that he does not. He does. He once threw himself off the top of his hutch so that he could run away from... That was Dido, wasn't it? It was Dido. Yeah, he does not like Dido. But no. he is a fan of the Toreador song from Carmen. Uh, he likes Daft Punk as well. He does. <laughs> There's a song by Perfect Circle that he likes, but anyway. He likes the version of the Nutcracker that they've got on Netflix. Yep. Uh, and apparently he likes the Hieronymus Bosch butt music. <laughs> but- well, he does have a thick ass. <laughs> <laughs> as our friends often say yes we do have a friend who says our rabbit is dummy thick but anyway that was <laughs> our episode at so now we're going Yay. to go into the main part of my episode and we are going to jump forward several hundred years mm-hmm. and we are going to go to the early 20th century Ooh. and i'm going to talk about some boats I Yay. Like a boat. what type of boats uh well these are some passenger liners okay. although they don't always stay passenger liners because this story is going to go into the first world war oh tight so the uh first ship i'm going to talk about and the main one really is the sms cap trafalgar which was a german ocean passenger liner named after cape trafalgar oh okay it was launched in 1913 and it was a three-funneled vessel. It was 613 feet long, or 187 metres, mm-hmm. uh, and had a 72-foot, 22-metre beam. Uh, in terms of weight, she measured 18,710 GRT, which is gross registered tonnage. So, a pretty hefty boat. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I don't know enough about boats to be like, ah, uh, yes... 
I know exactly what you're talking about. Once you start to get up to those measurements on anything, yeah. I just kind of nod along. I'm like, yes. These are some big boats. She, Is this like Titanic level? Yeah, she could okay. carry nearly 1,600 passengers. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and she was sailing around South America. In fact, she was the largest commercial ship in South American waters at the time. Wow. And she was a German ship. Yes. Okay. Uh, she had a maiden voyage on the 10th of April, 1914, and went from Hamburg to the South American ports in Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. Okay. Uh, she was not only the largest vessel, but she was also probably the most luxurious. Ooh. Her upper decks included a swimming pool and a cafe situated inside a greenhouse. What? She had first... That's so cute. Yep. She had first-class halls and stairwells, which were full of... I mean, all I could find... I couldn't get a picture or anything, but everything just described it as beautiful gold filigree. Oh, God, that sounds tacky. I mean, it does, yeah. But her staterooms were apparently furnished in the highest fashion of the time. Oh, wonderful. So... God, do you remember that Titanic museum we went to that one time? Titan- I remember the shipwreck museum. It was um, it was the one in Cornwall, and it had a whole room on Titanic. Oh yes, it did. Yeah, and it was drab, man. Yeah, it no. just wasn't. It, I don't think the museum we went to had any money. I think it was like a very local museum. This is true. But it's- this is what I'm imagining: is the furniture of the times is like covered in dust. <laughs> Well, I think this was very new. It was, you know, very fancy. Nice. So I imagine it looked, like, impressive, but I do agree it sounds tacky as hell. Okay, but I am imagining... What is this? The HMS Cap Trafalgar? SMS Cap Trafalgar. The SMS Cap Trafalgar. Um, The Cap Trafalgar was called the the Ship of Dreams, and it was. It really was. (laughs) But for me, it was a slave ship. I mean, probably not, because... As I've already alluded to, a very important thing happened the year that it was first launched. It had its maiden voyage. That being the outbreak of World War. Okay, but it's not in the right place for a world war if it's in South America, is no, it? No, it is. Okay. Because uh, the Atlantic Ocean in general was a contested area. Oh. So naval fleets, it was important, like South America was kind of involved in that regard. Okay. Uh, especially because it was believed that there were many German ports around there that the they would use to basically repair and send ships out. So the British would patrol it. It was this whole thing. Okay. But obviously, what couldn't happen with the Cap Trafalgar was it couldn't be a luxury passenger liner. While Not, it was doing World War One stuff. Well, while it was in these wa- in the dangerous waters. Oh yeah, good point. So it was briefly laid up, and the German military took control of it. Oh no! This wasn't uncommon. Uh, not just in Germany, but mm. in pretty much every country, a lot of these very big passenger liners would receive refits to turn them into military vessels. Yeah, well, I knew about the Queen Mary. Is it the Queen Mary? Yeah, um, the UK had. Yeah, that used to go across a lot. The UK had quite a few actually, uh, which are going to appear in this. We're but, good at navies. I mean, yes, absolutely. So the Trafalgar met with the German gunboat, gunboat SMS Eber in Montevideo on August 18th, 1914. So she hadn't even really been out that long. Like, this is April to August. It's going to really suck to be the people who've just spent so much making this luxury yeah. craft. And then they're like, okay, it's been requisitioned by the army. <laughs> 
They're going to tear down all that brocade. You yep. just know it. Yep, absolutely. You're going to have, like, I don't know, people playing um, water sports or in <laughs> in the little swimming pool thing there and yep. messing up the place. Honestly. <laughs> Well, she was given an armament of two 4.1 naval guns. Oh, my God. And six one-pounder pom-pom autocannons. Oh! They were named for the sound they made while they fired. Oh, that's so cute and disturbing. I know. But, oh, why is that so like Mr. Toad going like poop-poop? It really is, isn't it? Uh, Obviously, she wouldn't carry any passengers anymore, but she was given a seasoned and experienced naval crew who knew the waters and the weapons and were basically ready to wreak havoc on enemy shipping. Great. Now, what Germany wanted at the time was to bulk up the navy because Britain, obviously, historically has been very much a naval power. Oh, yeah, and this was like peak naval power, wasn't it? Because we're at... British Empire time. Absolutely. So what Germany needed to do was to find a way to kind of get around the British Navy and move freely in the Atlantic. In order to do so, their plan was to disguise the Cap Trafalgar as a similar British ship. Okay. The tactic was to approach British ships, getting into range, and at the last minute they would raise the German flag and fire. Oh, God. I love that they have to raise the German flag to do this. Yeah, because I think otherwise there are breaches of international law or something. Because yeah. you can't fly under false colours and... I some... mean, that makes sense. But also, isn't that just kind of funny that they're like, okay, well, we've got to do things by the book. Yeah. Raise the flag! <laughs> we must obey the rules, of course. <laughs> we can't have anyone saying that we were cheating. You have. I love that you're allowed to go without flying the flag until like the last minute. It's just yeah. that you have to show it before you fire. Yeah, I think this is. The, it's, it's kind of. It's almost like a loophole in the rules. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I mean, it would be a good tactic, and it would also make the ship kind of difficult to trace. That's true. Because that, like, when I say like disguising, that includes like painting a completely different name on the side of the ship. Yeah. Meanwhile, the people who have you know, funded this boat are like rolling in their graves. <laughs> I don't think they're dead yet, but they're no, still I don't very think upset. It had only been out for four months. That would have been a terrible tragedy if everyone involved with it had died. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, there were two ships in the British fleet that were similar enough in appearance to the Cap Trafalgar that the disguise could be pretty reliable. Okay. And these two ships were the RMS Coronia and its sister ship, the RMS Carmania. Okay. Now, the Coronia and the Carmania were practically identical to each other. In fact, the Lazy only- shipbuilders. Well, no, for a very good reason. The principal difference was in the engine type. Okay. The Coronia had been built with twin propellers and quadruple expansion engines. I don't pretend to know what that means. Okay. Um, but the Carmania had three propellers, each driven by an individual steam turbine. Okay. Now, the reason for this is that this was actually an experiment to see what type of engine system was more efficient for these big ocean liners. Okay, that makes loads of sense. So they don't want any other variables. They're just like, we just want to see what the engine does. Exactly. There were a couple of differences between them because I think the nature of the engine meant that you had to have some slight changes to Mm. them. But... In pretty much all other regards, they were identical. They even had the same volume of refrigerated cargo space. Oh, my God. Which was 46,280 cubic feet or 1,311 cubic meters. 
great and that was the same down to the last cubic foot or meter on both ships wonderful i still i can't envisage sizes they they're big yeah i got that yeah the <laughs> cr- like is it the size of a blue whale <laughs> <laughs> then i can i can deal with that <laughs> i actually don't know how big is a blue whale uh, it's pretty darn big but i don't know if it's as big as any of these kinds of things Probably not. I can't imagine a blue whale being over 500 feet long. Probably not. I um, don't know. I, don't I know. literally no clue. Uh, I've no... You know, I really want to know now. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, so briefly Googling it, it seems that a blue whale is just shy of 100 feet long. Okay. So the Captrafalga is about six blue whales in front of each other. Jesus. Yeah, okay. these are big ships. Yep. The RMS Coronia was launched in 1904 and the Carmania the year later in 1905. So they had been in service roughly a decade before the Captrafalga. Okay. Uh, they were also slightly larger than the Captrafalga, but not so much that it would make a difference. Mm. Whereas I said, the Captrafalga was 613 feet long. The Carmania, for example, was 650 feet or okay. 198 meters in but length. But you're not really going to notice that when it's bearing down No, Exactly. And uh, it weighed 19,566 GRT. So a bit bigger, a bit bit heavier. Right. Now these two... Are you you fat shaming this boat? No, not at all. I think it's kind of cool. Okay. These two ships, uh, as I said, they were sister ships and they actually had uh, a nickname for the pair of them. They were called the Pretty Sisters. Aww. I don't know if this was kind of ironic or maybe they had been pretty. No, actually, they. it doesn't seem like it because H.G. Uh, Wells actually journeyed on at the RMS Carmania and he wrote about it. Oh, yeah. He said, this Carmania isn't the largest ship, nor the finest, nor is it to be the last. Great ships are to follow and greater still. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> I feel it's, one of the, it's damning with faint praise it really sort of is. thing. It's like, it's fine. It's it's yeah. a big ship. It'll do. <laughs> there will be bigger. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I don't know because that I think that was in 1906 he said that. Okay. So I think even when it launched, it wasn't, you know... It wasn't all that. No. And to be fair, I think it had capacity for about a thousand more people than the Cap Trafalgar. Okay. So you've got to imagine that would mean smaller cabins, even with its increased size. Sure. But also, who cares? This is like a really big deal, surely, in 1906. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you'd think so. H.G. Wells, not impressed. H.G. Wells is like, I've written better boats than this. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yes, but is it made out of a metal that that blocks out gravity? Yeah, exactly. Why aren't I floating to the moon yet? So, since these two ships were largely identical, it was basically a coin toss as to which ship the Cap Trafalgar would be disguised as. And they eventually chose the Carmania, uh, which was now known as the HMS Carmania, since it too had become a military vessel. Yeah. So, they painted the name on the side of the Cap Trafalgar and its disguise was complete. Great. On September the 14th, 1914, the Trafalgar was at a dock on the coast of Trinidad Island off Brazil. Mm-hmm. And it encountered its first to-be victim, <gasps> a another converted British liner, because there are loads of these ships out and about now. Yeah. 
The Trafalgar had just finished being loaded with coal and it had left port when the British ship spotted the smoke from the Trafalgar and moved to follow. Now, from the British ship's view, what they could see was that a ship painted in British colours had left port and was apparently fleeing from them. Right. So they thought, this is odd. We need to investigate. And from the Trafalgar's view... We don't know. They might actually have been fleeing and it's like, we've got stuff to do and we don't have time for this. Yeah. Or, and I think this is probably more likely, what they were doing was luring the British ship further out to sea because then they could actually attack. Yeah, that makes sense. It's basically really hard for these huge ships to attack on the coast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for about an hour, the British ship followed the Trafalgar out into open sea and both ships were radioing for assistance at the time because at this point, it became clear that the plan for the Cap Trafalgar had gone hideously awry. Oh, no. Because, by an incredible stroke of bad luck, the liner chasing them happened to be the actual HMS Carmania. (laughs) Which had been sent to Trinidad Island to investigate potential German-controlled ports there. Oh, no. And obviously they had seen the smokestack and had gone to investigate. And then they were like, well, this ship seems to be us. Right? Like, I cannot imagine this being anything other than a really surreal moment for everyone involved. (laughs) Like, if you're the British ship, you're like, that ship looks like one of ours. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. That is this ship. What's going on? (laughs) And from the perspective of the Cap Trafalgar, it's like, oh, good, a British liner. We can, you know, set the plan into motion. Yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) That's the ship we are pretending to be. I I can't imagine. I I mean, the thing (laughs) is that, like, also, weird things happen at sea. Like, people see weird stuff. Yeah. So... Maybe there was like a moment when they were all sailing along being like, maybe this is just us in the future. Or maybe it's a mirage. (laughs) Captain, Captain, is this a giant manatee? (laughs) (laughs) That's always the question. Well, when these ships were a distance of four miles apart, they opened fire. Because at this point, the entire ruse was up. Like, the Carmania knows, that's not us. Yeah. <laughs> that is clearly... Excuse me, that's not my ship. I'm on yeah. my ship. Do you think he had a moment was like, did we get on... Are we on the wrong... Are we on the right ship right now? Like, did we get on the wrong boat? I'd just like to imagine the German sailors just frantically trying to paint a two <laughs> after HMS Carmania on their ship. <laughs> well, the Carmania fired first. But they weren't quite in position and missed, allowing the Cap Trafalgar to land the first actual blow. As each side looked to gain an advantage, they got closer and closer to each other until eventually it was described as looking more like a cannon battle from the Age of Sail rather than a modern naval battle. What, like something else of... um... Pirates, Pirates of the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Like, practically side by side, just blasting each other. But that's so weird, because at this point, guns were mon- gu- guns could be mounted on the front, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But a lot of, they were also mounted on the side, and it was the better position for firing, basically. Yeah. And as they got closer, the sort of smaller arms fire you could i guess you could say could actually be used and then you know the sailors natural instincts come (laughs) come in they start swinging across with cutlass in their teeth (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, they might have wanted to because this was actually for a battle that lasted only two hours, which in terms of naval battles is quite short. This was a fierce battle. Both ships ended up ablaze pretty oh quickly. God. So you've got to imagine that you might be swinging across just to be like, our ship's on fire. I want to get away. <laughs> you end up with all the Germans swinging onto yes. the real Carmania, the re- all the British people swinging onto the false Carmania. <laughs> our ship's on fire. Quick, board the enemy. And they just swing <laughs> crossing each other. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Ship's on fire, yo. <laughs> Well, ultimately, the Carmania seemed to fare worse than its foe. It took 79 shots as opposed to the Captrafalgar's 73. But the shots that happened did more severely damage the Trafalgar. The Trafalgar developed 380 holes compared to the Carmania's 304. Oh, my God. Now, of course... This means that despite the fact that I say, you know, the Comania was worse off, neither of these boats were in good position. As I said, they were both on fire. And and, riddled with holes. Yeah. And it was looking like the fire might overwhelm the Carmania. But then the Trafalgar began to list to starboard. One of the shells from the actual Carmania had hit the Trafalgar below the waterline and had destroyed a number of compartments and had started properly flooding the ship. So the crew were ordered into lifeboats, and just 10 minutes after that order was given, the Cap Trafalgar sank beneath the waves. Oh my god. Which, I mean, considering it was the newer ship, yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive. That but- is impressive, and it was bigger. Yeah, no, 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 the Cap Trafalgar was slightly smaller. Oh. And it was smaller. (laughs) (laughs) But the Carmania was severely damaged in the fight. It was only just seaworthy enough to start heading south. Because basically they knew there were British ships around somewhere, Mm. but their radio and navigation systems had basically been destroyed in the fight. Oh, God. So they were just kind of, we really hope that we encounter a friendly ship. But what did they encounter what they think is a friendly ship? And then it turns out to be a German ship at the last minute. <laughs> oh, the painful irony. <laughs> this one's decorated as the Coronia. Yes. <laughs> so in terms of casualties, uh, there were nine casualties on the Carmania and there were between 16 and 51 on the Cap Trafalgar. Reports vary. I had... I've. I've read very different things from different sources, so I don't know if we know exactly how many people died. I mean, given that the ship sank, Mm. that's probably not too bad. It's not bad. We know that there were 270-plus crew who survived and were picked up. Okay, good. But we'll get to that a bit later, because that's not the end of the story. Oh. Because another ship was on the scene. A German ship, another converted passenger liner called the SS Kronprinz Wilhelm. I love it. Yes. Yes. They had heard the distress calls from the both ships and had gone to investigate. Upon arriving, they found just one ship, which was named the HMS Carmania. But they didn't know if this was the (laughs) German Carmania or the British one. And since the uh, Carmania's radio had been damaged, they couldn't try and verify it oh my god so now they had a decision to make because there is this ship there Mm -hmm. it looks pretty damaged yeah but they don't know if it's british or german and they know that this distress signal has been going around and there might be more british ships on the way right so the crown prince wilhelm they basically decide this looks like a trap 
Okay. And they turn and they leave. <laughs> Wait, was that the actual car mania they saw? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. because the Trafalgar had the sank. The Trafalgar sunk. Okay, yeah. right. So that was the actual car mania practically like sinking by itself. Yeah. Like if they had fired on it, it almost certainly would have gone down too. But they were like, I lit- no, no clue, man. I just noped out of there. Exactly. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Well done, Crown Prince Wilhelm. <laughs> So the Carmania was actually found the next day and it was believed that the ship would only have been able to sail for another day under its own steam before it would have sunk. Wow. Yeah. But it was found and it was repaired enough to make it to port while the 270 surviving crew of the Cap Trafalgar were picked up by the Royal Navy and interred uh, in a prison camp for the rest of the war. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) The Carmania was sent to Gibraltar to be properly repaired, and it actually continued to act as a military vessel for the rest of the war. Wow. When the war ended, it was then used to transport Canadian soldiers back home, and in 1919, it returned to service as a passenger ship. In 1923, it actually received an upgrade to a cabin-class cruiser, so the the number of berths that it had reduced from 2,650 to 1,440. It basically seemed to become what the Cap Trafalgar was when it launched. Oh, like we that's kind of nice. It is kind of nice. I, I don't have many descriptions, so we don't know how gaudy it was. Mm. But this was... I mean, if it's interwar years, probably not as gaudy. Well, I don't know, because there was a bit of a weird sort of boom at that time, mm. because we are just approaching the Great Depression. <laughs> Oh yeah, but like there, there's a bit of a dip in terms of people who can still afford to have oh, servants. Oh yes, certainly. Whatnot, you know. But as I've already mentioned, it the Great Depression would hit, and in 1929 there was a slump in the shipping market, and in 1931 both the Carmania and its sister ship, the Coronia, were auctioned off to a shipbreaking company in Northumberland. The company began work decommissioning the Carmania, but actually sold the Coronia on to a Japanese company in 1932. Wow, okay. The Coronia was renamed and taken to Osaka in Japan, where it too was decommissioned and broken down for a shipbreaking company. (laughs) All right. But there is a piece of the Carmania that still survives. It's on permanent display on board the HQS Wellington, which is permanently moored alongside the Victoria Embankment in London. Okay. And that is the bell of the ship. Oh. And it can still be seen. The ship is, like, the, the HQS Wellington is the headquarters ship of the Honourable Company of Master Mariners. Nice. So I don't know how freely it is available for the public to go and have a look, but it is just kind of nice to know that, you know, part of that ship still lives on. Is that that ship that you can see when you walk along? That? Yes, it is. I the, have seen that boat many the times. The big white ship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Excellent. So it's still, it's still, still a little bit of it You can see it today. There. Absolutely. Possibly. From a distance. Maybe. You squint. <laughs> Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4, and you can suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and play butt music. <laughs> Bye. I thought it was going to be something about the boats. <laughs>